all this negativity. Everybody's so down, down, down. Wait a second. That's all I've been talking about, too. Good morning. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It will be an upbeat edition of Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way every weekday morning if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer up Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates right where you found this. And I am guilty as self-charged. The last few daily shots have been somewhere ranging between down in the dumps and left for dead, meaning the team. And it's hard not to react that way when you see the trajectory that a lot of things have been on and you see a tie with the Detroit Lions. You know, that's quite the culminator there. So I'm up here in Montreal for hockey, and on the flight up, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to give it a shot here. I'm, I'm going to try for daily shot of Steelers. I'm going to try to just focus on something that's legit positive, not forced, not phony, not manufactured. Legit. So I thought, let's take one player from each of the three facets who's been a plus, a positive, and, and somebody who's not all that obvious. I may mean, sit here and waste everybody's time by telling you, you know, TJ Watt's really good. Cam Hayward's having a heck of a season. Najee Harris is really talented. I, I'm, you know, going to try a little bit harder than that. And I'm going to start with a Watt that isn't TJ. We're going to start with special teams and point to Derek Watt, who had a monster performance the other day including against Detroit sort of thing that doesn't get noticed when you tie the Lions wait 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 positive positive but he's been outstanding in terms of his kick coverage uh, his his ability to handle all aspects of kickoffs punts uh, his leadership I know the group isn't accounting for a lot of splash, and that was something that came up for open criticism from Mike Tomlin in his Tuesday press conference, first time that's happened. But I don't think anybody could look at Derek Watt within what he's been allowed to do and say that he hasn't been a good football player. Now, the criticism that comes of Watt is the amount of money that was given to him, the amount of cap commitment, that being $3.5 million. That's a tough, tough salary to absorb for a special teams player. You can find uh, almost a full set of special teams guys at or close to NFL minimum. You don't need to be paying them 3.5. So if there's some skepticism out there as to what the real motive was in signing Derek, well, that it would help get TJ to sign long-term or whatever else here. To me, a lot of that went out the window when nobody lifted a pinky finger to sign JJ. But but it's, it's there. It's there and it's plausible. That said, the player 
would be an idiot to turn the money down. So it's hardly the player's fault that they're being overpaid for their usage. And for what it's worth, when the Steelers have allowed Watt onto the field as a fullback, he's hardly disappointed. He's hardly ever out there, but he's hardly disappointed. He'll do what needs to be done for that run. Would love to see him get used more often, but that only gives me something in common with literally everybody who isn't on the Steelers coaching staff. This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online. Maybe a flexible hybrid format works for you. Learn more about all of this at pointpark.edu. Moving to the offense and defense here, starting with the defensive side of the ball, a guy that's jumped out at me lately, and I don't hear hardly anybody mentioning him, is James Pierre. He has been... Uh, I was about to say aggressive with his uh, with his pursuit on tackles, but it's more than that. He's showing like a real jump. Uh, he's getting at guys. He's been solid on coverage. He's getting his hand on the football. And he makes me feel a whole lot better about potentially not having Joe Hayden. I liked what I've seen of him. And I feel like all Pierre has done when he's been on the football field is continue to make the most of opportunities and continue to prove that he should get more of them. That began, of course, late last season when he overtook Justin Lane in terms of regular playing time, particularly whenever it was, it was down to needing to, to start between him and Lane, the coaching staff just saw a difference there. And all of a sudden, who's this Pierre guy? Well, why is Pierre out there? What is that? And there he was, turning into a pretty nice football player. And you never know where that's going to go. And on offense, this was a little bit obvious, but maybe not so much because of the timing. I'm going to say Pat Fryermuth because I really, really want it to be underscored. I believe that this player will not allow that fumble to have any negative impact on his game Sunday night in Los Angeles or beyond. He has struck me, this is off the field, as supremely confident and in a way that he doesn't even have to say it. He just projects it. So does the player the Steelers drafted in front of him. They very much have that in common. And one of the cool things to have emerged this season, and with the pandemic reaching at least a different phase, and us being allowed to you know interact with the players in something... Uh, more casual than a Zoom setting, it's been amazing to watch Friermuth and Najee interact. 
Uh, they have a really neat back-and-forth kidding relationship about them. Uh, there's seldom an opportunity that Naji passes up uh, to praise Friar Muth. Sometimes kidding, sometimes not. Uh, but that, that's been neat to watch. And to see Friar Muth's reaction to it, where he just kind of, he's not floored by it. He's not anything. He's just kinda, he just kind of smiles and goes along with it. He, he doesn't act like it's a big deal. But you can tell that he's aware that it is. He's aware that it is a big deal that the quarterback, the franchise quarterback, asked him to have a stall next to him in the locker room. He wanted Fryermuth to be there. He wanted Fryermuth to be his next Heath Miller. You can tell that Fryermuth gets that it's a really big deal that people compare him to Heath Miller because the other day when he was asked about actually meeting Heath on the sideline before the game, he gave an answer that he knew a lot of people were going to be paying attention to. And the way he phrased it, very respectfully, uh, citing specific things that Heath had mentioned to him about his preparation during Heath's rookie year. That showed me a lot. This kid is grown up way beyond his years. He will overcome this fumble. And if you don't believe me, here's what he had to say on that subject yesterday after practice. Yeah, um, obviously the 24-hour rule, you know, obviously it's, it sucked when it happened and, you know, after the game and stuff like that. But, you know, my parents have been great and you know, everyone in my support corner have been great. And, you know, guys on the team, you know, I think they, they were awesome after the game in the locker room and, and coming up to me and making sure everything was okay and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I just got to flush it, learn from it, and, uh, and move on. Good for him. And you know what? Good for a, a, a bunch of players. I, I can't shake off that this team <laughs> – hasn't lost in five games, okay? There was a point last year when, you know, obviously they were 11-0. And we were all watching it. We all knew it was mythical, especially toward the last two, three games of it. And this kind of has that same feeling right now. But there are still positives in place, not least of which is the outcomes themselves. And maybe the positives will start outweighing the negatives here. I'll leave it right there. When we come back, just one question. pinpoint the main issue the defensive line for missing the gaps the linebackers in the secondary for missed tackles or do you see anything else as the root of the problem yes he may not I, I do see other things but I'm going to first start with acknowledging a couple of the things that you listed yourself the defensive lineman unquestionably in watching this game a second time in addition to seeing it and covering it live at Heinz Field watching the video the defensive line was Missing gaps, the defensive line wasn't able to match up with the numbers that Detroit stacked on the offensive line, and that includes tight ends. That was something that the Lions 
came onto the field with, and it took the Steelers until the third quarter to do anything about it, and then they openly acknowledged it afterward. It was mentioned by Tomlin immediately after the game, and then it was mentioned by Tomlin again on Tuesday. All of the players also brought it up. Joe Schobert said, they showed us something that we hadn't seen before, and it took us a while to dot, 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 okay? Cam Hayward, the one who had said the previous week, I'm sorry, not the previous week, after the Seattle game, that we just need to stay in our damned gaps, acknowledged that they didn't stay in their damned gaps. But he also acknowledged that they didn't adjust. And they did so without getting controversial and pointing to coaches and stuff like that. All of that is seen as a collective by this group anyway. But that obviously reflects most prominently, most harshly on Tomlin and Keith Butler. The inside linebackers, because that's where the running was going here, you can leave the edge rushers out of this equation. You weren't seeing the Lions hit uh, over to the left or to the right. Everything was just going boom, 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 right up the middle. It was through tackles. The inside linebackers didn't do their job, but that's at this point like saying, you know, Santa Claus is associated with Christmas. You're not seeing Schobert tackle people. You're not seeing Devin Bush even try very hard to tackle people. And you're not seeing Robert Spillane come onto the field until third down because that's hilarious. <laughs> I can't come up with a better explanation for it than that. It's just funny. Now, the one thing you mentioned, which I'll absolve uh, those at, at that position will be the secondary. I, I thought the secondary was terrible at tackling whenever the Seahawks had their rampage. I thought they were much better at it in this one. I thought that uh, almost everybody back there, but particularly James Pierre and Terrell Edmonds were outstanding at getting guys down. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick did his part as well. This wasn't about the secondary. But as I mentioned after the Seattle game, if you're talking about how effective your secondary is in stopping the other team's running game, you're already having a defeated conversation. Uh, these guys need to be better at this. I don't know that they will be until if slash when Stefan Tuit, Tyson Alualu come back and let these inside linebackers play the roles for which they were acquired, which most definitely was not to be beefy, Hardy Nickerson, Lawrence Timmons type of inside linebackers. They're not that, and they're not going to be that. So if Isaiah Bugs and Chris Wormley can't stop the run, and the Steelers didn't go out and get anybody when they had a chance while they're sitting on $10.25 million in cap space, then I'm out of answers too. I appreciate the question. Jimena, I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Chance. Steelers listening to another one tomorrow.